Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. In the aftermath of a leftist terrorist attempting to murder dozens of Republican congresspeople, there are widespread calls from both right and left to tamp down the level of violent language regularly utilized in political discourse. It was a starry-eyed idea, kind of dumb, and was never likely to withstand a test of hard-nosed politics. And naturally, it didn't. Within two weeks... The opponents of President Trump went right back to the violent language they were decrying. On Thursday, responding to the Senate health bill that would trim around the edges of Obamacare while restructuring Medicaid, Senator Elizabeth Warren took a political hot tomahawk to Republicans, calling their bill blood money. Then there was actor Johnny Depp, who's been playing a fey pirate both on screen and off for the last decade who said that maybe an actor should assassinate Trump. Then there was Josh Fox, a leftist film producer, who followed up with this gem, quote, Mitch McConnell is a terrorist. Donald Trump is a terrorist. This bill terrorizes people and sentences poor people to death. Here's leftist pressure organization Media Matters, quote, what pundits call a moderate Senate health care bill will kill people. Then there were these protesters, quote, GOP unveils health care bill while protesters bleed and scream, the government wants to kill me. And there was Scott Dworkin, Democratic consultant, fact, the GOP healthcare bill will kill Americans. Hashtag save ACA. Yes, the violent language the left thought was so terrible that it supposedly led to the Oklahoma City bombing and shooting of Gabby Giffords just had to stop. But not the violent language that, by the same theory, may have impacted the congressional shooter. That has to continue. After all, how will people know how violent and threatening Republicans are unless Democrats describe them as murderers and terrorists? I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> Alrighty, so a lot to get to today. We're going to talk about Johnny Depp and his fey piracy in just a second. We're also going to talk about, uh, we're going to go through the health care bill, which I now have had a chance to read. So we'll talk about everything that is in the Senate health care bill. But before we do any of that, I want to remind you that in these times, it is useful to own some precious metal. If you feel insecure about the future of the economy, if it looks like the economy might be slowing in some ways, if, it, if you're worried about foreign threat that may impact the economy if you're worried about inflation. That's why you need to talk to my friends over at Birch Gold Group. They have a long-standing track record of continued success, thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Right now, if you contact them, they can give you a free information kit on physical precious metals, and that 16-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA. Go to birchgold.com slash Ben. That's birchgold.com Slash Ben. And by the way, for your personal collection of precious metals, they have beautiful stuff. I mean, like this is a five ounce Silver America, the beautiful coin. And you can see that uh, pretty cool. Teddy Roosevelt. You can see, ooh, pretty. Uh, they also have the one ounce Silver American Eagle 
proof coins so you can get these coins you can stash them and they will still be worth something when your dollar is worth nothing eventually uh, so make sure that you go over to birch gold group and talk to them right now birchgold.com slash ben ask all your questions at least part of your portfolio should be in precious metals to hedge against inflation and governmental intervention that's what birch gold is for birchgold.com slash ben use the slash ben that they know that we sent you okay so as the Republicans release their Senate health care bill, which we'll go through in a second and talk about, I don't like it. I think it doesn't repeal Obamacare. It does some good things because most Republican bills do some good things. But if this is the big Obamacare repeal we were told about, this is not that. This is not what that is. And it is a lie for Republicans to suggest that it is. And there are a couple of serious Republican political problems associated with this health care bill. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the Democrats' new obsession really isn't new. I mean, this has been since the election with killing Trump and saying violent things about Republicans and being just quite terrible. So, you know, we we talked in the aftermath of the congressional shooting about when language is connected to violence. And I said that, you know, I'm not going to explicitly blame language for violence unless the language explicitly calls for violence. However, I also said that when you have increased violent language, when you have an increased tenor in political debate that suggests that your political opposition, terrorists who are benefiting from blood money, that there is a small, fringy group of people who are going to be set off by this. And again, I'm not going to draw a direct linkage, but I think there is clearly an indirect linkage. Language can affect random people, for sure. If you think of speech as a giant circle and then the, the group of sane people as mostly falling within this circle who understand what speech is, and then there are outliers out here who can be set off. As the circle of speech expands to include more violent speech, then what you will see is that the circle starts to shrink, actually, and the, the, the number of reasonable people who understand that this is meant not to be violent shrinks, and you start to exclude some of the people on the fringes who start to become irrational and, and crazy. Anyway, uh, the, the Democrats have obviously been engaging in this sort of stuff for a while. Johnny Depp was making headlines last night because he was speaking. First of all, actors should never speak outside of their Hollywood roles. There's a reason people write lines for them. It's because actors are generally not the most intelligent people on earth. Okay, I know a lot of actors. There's a reason there are stereotypes about actors. They memorize lines, particularly movie actors who, who memorize three lines at a time. I mean, not even stage actors who have to memorize an entire play, but movie actors who memorize three lines at a time. No one thinks that Johnny Depp is some sort of genius. Also, I don't know why Johnny Depp's look is now a homeless man who killed three other homeless people and then assembled their wardrobe. It probably cost him thousands of dollars. Greg Gutfeld says he looks like a refugee from Hot Topic. I think that's probably correct. It looks like he, he raided my grandmother's drawer for that, uh, for, for that blue bracelet, and then he found a teenage girl and robbed her car for some of those other bracelets. Uh, and then it looks like he went over to the local jewelry store and knocked it de- and knocked it over for those blingy rings. Or alternatively, he went to a candy shop and just spent a lot of money there. And then he grabbed a hat that may have come from a bad guy in a Western or also may have come from a hipster. I'm gonna go with probably from the hipster. And he got uh, a Michael Jackson silk black shirt uh, in order to, from, from the dead man's closet. In any case, here is Johnny Depp, who has been playing a fake pirate really since the first Pirates of the Caribbean. It's sad because Johnny Depp used to be a pretty good actor, and now Johnny Depp just does the Lone Ranger as a fake pirate, and then he does the fake pirate as a fake pirate, and then he does Black Mass. He tries not to be a fake pirate, but he sort of fails, and even the fake pirate sort of infuses his, his attempt to be a Boston gangster. Anyway, here is fake pirate Johnny Depp talking about how he would like to kill President Trump. Can we bring Trump here? Yeah, I am. 
leadership is recognized by many around the country, and that is why I'm able to attract the support that I do, which is essential uh, to our election, sad to say. I'm well-liked and beautiful, and everyone loves me. Okay, good luck, Nancy Pelosi, with all of this. So here's the thing. As I said yesterday, the Republicans have the upper hand because the Democrats are in disarray. What can bring the Democrats together is not just an unpopular president like President Trump, and we'll talk about what he's been doing over the last 24 hours, but also they need a piece of legislation to rally around so that they can get their base out and so that they can get people on the edge to vote while leaving Republicans home. What they need is a piece of legislation that is so polarizing that they can that they can grab onto it and hold onto it and use it as a club to beat Republicans. This is what happened in 2010 after Barack Obama pushed forward the auto bailouts and he pushed forward and they, well, it was essentially the nationalization of the auto industry and the stimulus package, and he pushed forward Obamacare. And then in 2010, Republicans wiped out Democrats. Okay, in 1994, it was Bill Clinton's Hillary Care proposal that led Republicans to wipe out Democrats. So what is the big proposal from Republicans? Naturally, they decided to play right into Democrats' hands. So they could have started with tax reform. They could have. They could have attempted to get 60 votes on tax reform. They could have started with even an infrastructure bill that wouldn't have been so polarizing. I'm talking politically now, not even from a conservative point of view, just politically, if you want to win, the last thing you start with is touching the healthcare system because the healthcare system is already collapsing. One of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to do a full overthrow of the healthcare system that actually fixes it, but is unpopular because there's a transition period for any healthcare system, or you are going to leave it in place and let it die. And, or there, there's a third possibility, which is the worst of both, which is you make some changes around the edges that may be beneficial in some ways, but you own the continued failure. And that's, of course, what Republicans are choosing because they are stupid. So here is what is in the Republican Senate Obamacare light bill. So there are a couple of things in here that are good. There are tax cuts, right? It, it cuts taxes. It gets rid of the employer mandate. And it also... And it also restructures Medicaid. So Medicaid right now is basically an open-ended program where the federal government is absorbing the increase in the number of people who are rushing onto Medicaid and then giving grants out on a need-based basis as opposed to a per capita flat rate basis to the states. Okay, that is a, a recipe for unending debt. As far as getting rid of the taxes and getting rid of the individual mandate and getting rid of the employer mandate and all this, The problem is that if you keep the central Obamacare regulations in place, what you're really doing by getting rid of all of this is blowing out the spending. Because if you don't have taxes to cover the cost of Obamacare, if you do not have mandates to force healthy people into the Obamacare system or into the the, the individual health insurance market, then there is no one to pay for the sick people who Obamacare forces insurance companies to cover. That is the problem. You are exacerbating the death spiral that Republicans talk about. Republicans talk about the Obamacare death spiral. There's not enough money to pay for this. Insurers are dropping out because they can't make money off of it. So what do we do? Well, Republicans just made that actually worse with this Senate bill because the bill retains Obamacare's core regulatory scheme. And as I said yesterday, the bill is not designed to actually get rid of Obamacare. It is designed to lower taxes. Uh, It is designed to lower the debt number so that they can get a tax cut through, which is basically, the, the again, to the tax point. It is designed to restructure Medicaid, which is a good thing, a very good thing. Avik Roy is head over heels for the bill because it restructures Medicaid, which is a good thing. Um, and then it is designed to let Republicans say they repealed Obamacare, which is actually a really bad thing because you don't want to lie to the American people about repealing Obamacare when you didn't repeal it because you're going to take ownership of a non-free market system in the name of the free market, which is always a disaster for Republicans. So first of all, 
Six things about this bill. First, insurance companies will still be mandated to cover pre-existing conditions. The minute you force insurance companies to do this, they begin hemorrhaging cash because people will wait until they get sick to get insurance. The bill gets rid of the individual mandate, okay? So it doesn't force people into the system, which means that these insurance companies will start to go bankrupt or they will start to raise their rates dramatically, which of course does not decrease the price of premiums. It increases the price of premiums. The Republican bill leans heavily on subsidies and does away with the mandates and taxes, and that basically destroys the Obamacare individual market. Daniel Horowitz of Conservative Review has this exactly right. He says the bill merely loosens existing waiver authority up to the discretion of HHS for a few regulations, a provision that will not be strong enough to signal flexibility to insurers enough to reduce premiums. So the idea here would be that if you got rid of a lot of the regulations, then insurers would compete to reduce premiums. The bill doesn't do enough to do that. The bill re-enshrines a bunch of subsidies to insurance companies. As I talked about from Peter Suderman at Reason Magazine yesterday, the Republicans originally opposed the idea that the federal government was going to subsidize insurance companies. Now they're saying that it's great that the federal government is subsidizing insurance companies, and that is not great, okay? And the reason they're subsidizing the insurance companies is because they kept all of the Obamacare regulations. The bill also provides new entitlements for middle-income Americans. So right now, Obamacare gives subsidies for insurance purchase to families of four, making four times the federal poverty level. It's about $100,000. The Senate Republican bill reduces that to $86,000. But as prices rise, which they will continue to do, given the continuation of the regulations, the subsidies are not going to be enough. Now, this is still better than the system that was in place from the House so far as covering people and not forcing them onto Medicare, but it is a giant subsidy system. It is an entitlement. It alters Medicaid, and this is a good thing, but it does it mostly down the road. So originally, the House bill that was proposed would have begun rolling back federal funding on a need-based basis beginning in 2020 and ending the open-ended funding of expansion of Medicaid enrollees. Now, the rollback has been kicked back to 2021, you know why. It's because it's after Trump's re-election. And in 2025, it creates a growth cap on Medicaid payments linked to inflation rather than health cost inflation, which means that basically instead of the federal government's Medicaid reimbursement being linked to the cost of health care, it's linked just to the dollar. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that that means that Medicaid reimbursements are going to drop, which is okay because that forces people onto private insurance, which they should be getting anyway. But it is never going to materialize anyway because it's 2025. If you really think that it's now 2016, uh, 2017, if you really think that eight years from now anything is going to be certain, then you don't know how government works. The bill does defund Planned Parenthood. This is the stop to the conservatives. It does it for one year. Okay, Medicaid is not able to fund Planned Parenthood for one year, not for four years, not for 10 years, for one year. And finally... As I say, the individual mandate and taxes disappear, which would be good, except for it exacerbating the Obamacare death spiral for which Republicans will now be blamed. So I think Nate Silver basically has this right. I'm just being intellectually honest here. This bill is not a health care revision. It is, a, it is about restructuring Medicaid, which is good, but it does so in the long term when it's not actually going to materialize. And it is about tax cuts and ensuring that Republicans can get tax reform through. Well, what this means is that there's been some blowback from some of the Republicans in the Senate. I would not expect that Senator Cruz and uh, Senator Lee maybe uh, are going to stand against this. I think that they may be posing an opening bargaining position. Um, you know, I, I would hope that they would stand against the bill that doesn't repeal Obamacare after Ted Cruz shut down the government uh, in order to propose the repeal of Obamacare. Uh, I don't see why things have changed. Here's Senator Cruz talking about it. You can hear that there's a little bit of wiggle room here. Senator Cruz, I think, would, would be interested in probably finding some sort of solution that allows him to save face. We've been working collaboratively that entire time trying to solve the problems, uh, the underlying problems in health care. Uh, this current draft doesn't get the job done. 
but I believe we can get to yes. I believe we can get this done. There is an agreement to be reached. Uh, and I have been for the last five months working around the clock to get to that agreement. Uh, and I still believe we can get there. The key to getting an agreement, to getting a bill that can pass, is we need common sense reforms in the bill that lower the cost of premiums. The single biggest reason that so many people are unhappy with Obamacare, that are hurting under Obamacare, is because it's caused premiums to skyrocket. When, when I'm home in Texas, I hear over and over again from Texans who say, I can't afford health insurance because of Obamacare. We've got to fix that. The current draft circulated this morning doesn't do nearly okay, enough. The problem is that nothing to is lower going to be done cost. to actually lower premiums. We can stop it there. The only reason that we're going to be able to lower cost of premiums is by getting rid of the core Obamacare regulations on pre-existing conditions. The bill isn't going to do that. Uh, we're going to get to the rest of the Republican reaction and why Democrats are chortling over this secretly. Um, but first, I want to say thank you to our friends over at the USCCA. This is the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. So. Let's say that somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, you grab your gun and you shoot them. First of all, if you want to know how to shoot them, then you should visit USCCA. They do have firearms training courses, firearm safety courses. But beyond that, once you shoot them, then you could be in trouble with the law even if you did the right thing. And that's why USCCA makes sure that you have the resources and makes sure that you are legally and financially protected for after you pull the trigger. They educate you, they train you, and they make sure that you are legally and financially protected after you pull the trigger. And also, they are focused on getting more guns into the hands of responsible, law-abiding Americans like you. So in honor of the 4th of July, they have an awesome giveaway they are doing right now, the Great American Giveaway. You can go to DefendMyFamilyNow.com and register. DefendMyFamilyNow.com. Register. You get five chances to win $1,776 worth of guns and ammo. $1,776. Get it? $1,776 worth of guns and ammo at DefendMyFamilyNow.com. You register. You can give them your email address, and now you get access to all of these materials anyway, which is awesome. You should do it even if they weren't doing a giveaway, but they are doing a giveaway, so why not take advantage? You get five chances to win $1,776 toward the gun and ammo of your choice, which is super cool. Again, defendmyfamilynow.com right now. It's defendmyfamilynow.com. It's again, all of their resources are invaluable, and the fact that you also get a chance to, uh, and the fact that you get a chance to get the firearms and the ammo at the same time is super duper cool. Again, it's defendmyfamilynow.com. Defend my family now. Okay, so, you know, Ted Cruz uh, sounds like he wants to vote for the thing. Uh, this, I think this is going to pass. I think it'll play out like this. It'll play out exactly like the House bill. Uh, the House bill was presented, and they said, we're going to rush this. Rush it, rush it, rush it. And then it failed. And then they came back, and they made some very minor tweaks. And there's a lot of public pressure because it's like, oh, I guess we've held that long enough. And then they passed basically the same bill as House Bill Number 1 with a few minor tweaks attached that didn't mean anything and that some of which have been stripped out by the Senate. I think the same thing will probably happen here. But Rand Paul's assessment of this is exactly correct. He says this is still Obamacare. It could still happen if the people who wrote the bill are willing to negotiate. Conservatives want a repeal bill. I want a bill that looks like, feels like, and is a repeal bill. My fear is when I look at this, I keep reading it, and it's like, it sounds like Obamacare to me. It doesn't even sound like Obamacare light. In some areas, it may be Obamacare plus on the subsidy side. We can't have a bill that spends more than Obamacare in the first couple of years and call that a repeal bill. So, yes, we should be for repeal, but we also have to have sufficient confidence in capitalism, competition, and free markets. 
Okay, so what's hilarious about all of this is that as the Republicans rightly, the, the conservatives in the caucus rightly say this does not repeal Obamacare, the Democrats, of course, it wouldn't matter what this did. If it just said, we want the American Health Care, uh, the, the American Care Act or the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, we just want Obamacare to be called Obamacare. We're going to get rid of one letter. <laughs> the Democrats say, end of the world, we're all going to die. It's the worst thing that ever happened. We can't. If you're going to get accused of that anyway, you may as well make the changes you want to make. You may as well make the changes that are actually going to ensure the premiums come down, because no matter what you do, Democrats are going to claim that it's the end of the world. You're going to kill people. Elizabeth Warren is going to go out there and say it's blood money. Here's Elizabeth Warren today saying it's blood money. She grabbed her tomahawk and she was chanting around the fire. Here's what she had to say. This is a really terrible bill. And make no mistake, this bill is about tax breaks for the rich. And this bill is about Republicans saying, hey, those are our priorities. We're taking care of the people we care about, and everyone else can just bear the costs of it. This is the moment to tell the Republicans in the United States Senate, to tell every one of the Republicans in the United States Senate, no, this bill does not represent our values. This bill is not who we are as a country. We believe that health care is a basic human right, and we will get out there and fight for it. And then she tweeted out, I've read the Republican health care bill. This is blood money. They're paying for tax cuts with American lives. Blood money. Okay, first of all, this lady takes much, muchos money from Planned Parenthood. That's actual blood money. But she talks about it's blood money and we're going to die. Everyone's going to die. It's the worst thing ever. This thing trims around the edges. It really does. And it increases subsidies in some areas. It gets rid of the individual mandate. The idea, by the way, that it's hilarious that they're making cuts and then they're going to make you pay for it. Who's you, okay? I've been paying for Obamacare since it was in, since its inception through my tax dollars. I've been paying for Obamacare through increased premiums, and so have you. So this idea that, that we're going to change the system and it's going to redistribute the costs, one of the great Democrat talking points here is they keep saying, well, this is a tax cut for the rich. Excuse me, excuse me, or it's a redistribution of money from poor to rich. Obamacare was the greatest redistributive move in modern history, moving wealth from the middle class to the poor, from moving wealth from the, the young to the old, moving it from the healthy to the sick. That's what Obamacare was. And going back to status quo ante is not actually the destruction of some sort of grand system here. But this is what Democrats are talking like, right? Chuck Schumer says the same thing. He says this would end healthcare as we know it. Everyone's going to die. Rah! Even as we continue to get more details, the broad outlines are clear. This is a bill designed to strip away health care benefits and protections from Americans who need it most in order to give a tax break to the folks who need it least. This is a bill that would end Medicaid as we know it, rolling back Medicaid expansion, cutting federal support for the program even more than the House bill, which cut Medicaid by $800 billion. From what is reported, in just three short years under the Senate bill, Republicans will kick millions off their Medicaid coverage. Okay, so again, this is, Democrats are always going to claim this stuff. Barack Obama went on, on Facebook and posted a long rant about how terrible the bill is and how everyone's going to die. And uh, the, Democrats are always going to claim this. They're always going to claim this. And this is why Republicans ought to just do whatever the hell they want and pass a bill that does what they said it would do and repeal this piece of crap legislation instead of trimming around the edges because they actually want to keep it while lying to you about it. That's what's really nasty about all of this. Okay. 
Okay, well, as we continue here on the Ben Shapiro Show, I want to get to the mailbag. We're going to do the mailbag. We're also going to get to President Trump's comments about the tapes. Finally, we have an answer on the tapes and all of that. We will talk about that. I also want to talk about the fact that the Obama administration really did almost nothing to get on top of the the Putin supposed election interference. While Democrats keep talking incessantly about how they about how the election was hacked and it's all Trump's fault. Really, if it's any president's fault, it's President Obama's fault. We'll talk about that in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to subscribe. So go over to dailywire.com right now, $8 a month. The prices are about to rise in July. So if you're going to get a subscription, now is the best time to do it. For people who are already subscribed, the rates are staying the same. But for people who are not, you need to do it now. Lock in that lower rate, $8 a month. You get access to the mailbag. You can do the live mailbag right into me right now. Uh, if you subscribe to the rest of the show live, see Clavin's show live, get, be part of his mailbag as well. And if you subscribe to the annual subscription, then you get a free signed copy of this book by me and my father. Say it so, Papa, Dad, Me, and the 2005 White Sox Championship Season. A really fun book about baseball and fathers and sons. People from all sides of the political aisle really enjoying it. So you can get a free signed copy when you get an annual subscription. If you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, and subscribe. Make sure you leave us a review. That always helps boost us in the rankings. We appreciate it. Uh, we are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So with the Trump-Russia stuff all falling apart, it seems clear that the Democrats are searching for a new narrative, and it keeps falling apart day by day. So there's a story in the Washington Post, a very long story today, about how the Obama administration knew for months that the Russians were attempting to interfere with the election, and they did nothing about it. According to the Washington Post, early last August, an envelope with extraordinary handling restrictions arrived at the White House. Sent by courier from the CIA, it carried eyes-only instructions that its contents be shown to just four people, President Obama and three senior aides. Inside was an intelligence bombshell, a report drawn from sourcing deep inside the Russian government that details Russian President Vladimir Putin's direct involvement in a cyber campaign to disrupt and discredit the U.S. presidential race. But it went further. The intelligence captured Putin's specific instructions on the operation's audacious objectives, defeat or at least damage the Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton, help elect her opponent Donald Trump. At that point, the outlines of the Russian assault on the U.S. election were increasingly apparent. Hackers with ties to Russian intelligence services had been rummaging through Democratic Party computer networks as well as Republican systems for more than a year. In July, the FBI had opened an investigation between Russian officials and Trump associates. And on July 22nd, nearly 20,000 emails stolen from the DNC were dumped online by WikiLeaks. Obama basically did nothing. Obama basically did nothing. Okay, the material was so sensitive, CIA Director John Brennan kept it out of the president's daily brief. brief, concerned that even the restricted report's distribution was too broad. The CIA package came with instructions that it be returned immediately after it was read. It took time for other parts of the intel community to endorse the CIA's view. Only in the administration's final weeks in office did it tell the public in a declassified report what officials had learned from Brennan in August, that Putin was working to elect Trump. So the question becomes, okay, if Obama knew about all this stuff, why didn't he do anything about this stuff? And by the way, if the DNC knew about all this stuff, why didn't they do anything? They refused to turn over their servers to the FBI, saying that they didn't actually need very much help. So whose fault is it that the Russian hacking worked, according to Democrats? It's Democrats' fault. Trump, was the, uh, Trump wasn't president, yet Obama was president. So, you know, the, w- w- despite all the complaining, I guess the logic there would have been, if we reveal it, it'll look like we're whining, and then they'll ask us for evidence. But even if that were the case, so what? I mean, wouldn't the American public have a right to know? So this is on Obama much more than it's on Trump. The only evidence of of interference from somebody on the high end is actually Obama, not 
pursuing this enough and not revealing enough to the public before the election. If Democrats are going to blame anybody, they should be blaming themselves for all of this. Meanwhile, President Trump continues to dig himself holes. Now, one of the things that annoys me is this assumption that President Trump, everything that he does, there's an assumption by a certain class of Trump supporter that says that everything that he does is a remarkable work of heartbreaking genius. Everything is 876 degree, underwater, upside down, chess, MAGA, 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 underwater, backgammon, played with an invisible plane with Wonder Woman. You know, all, all of this stuff is just stupid. Sometimes Trump says stuff, and sometimes that stuff is dumb, and sometimes it damages him, and sometimes it's not that big a deal. Okay, in the category of it damages him, but it's not that huge a deal, is Donald Trump's tweet about the Comey tapes. You remember that a few months ago, President Trump tweeted all about how he might have tapes of Comey. Here's what he tweeted. He tweeted... The exact tweet was, James Comey better hope that there are no tapes of our conversations before he starts leaking to the press, right? This was, and then people said, well, wait, were you taping Comey? And if there are tapes, can we hear them? And then Trump was like, well, it's a secret. I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. I love secrets. I love them. I love to play, like, my favorite game show is the one where there's, it's like password or $60,000 pyramid, you know, the one where it's a secret. I love secrets. So we got a month and a half of his administration refusing to say whether there are tapes or not, right? Which is dumb, okay? The whole thing is dumb. There aren't any tapes. Comey goes ahead and uses the, the tapes tweet as an excuse to leak news that he has contemporaneous memos, and then he goes on the Hill and testifies, and then Trump calls him a liar anyway. And I'm just recounting all of that because the new narrative is that this was actually a secretive work of genius. So the secretive work of genius theory is laid out by Molly Hemingway over at The Federalist. I, I really like Molly. I think she's wonderful. But Molly has this unfortunate tendency to suggest that anyone who disagrees with her is, is motivated by never Trump hatred for the president. Okay. As I've said, I am sometimes Trump. When he does good things, I like it. And when he does silly things, I think it is stupid and I dislike it. She had a debate with Jonah Goldberg in which she suggested that this was, again, a work of heartbreaking genius by President Trump. And Jonah Goldberg disagrees with her, which means, of course, that Jonah Goldberg is some sort of cuck or something. When you look back at, at what happened, that tweet precipitated the appointment of a special counsel. That was a fairly costly tweet for the president. It was. It was a bad idea, and it got him in a lot of trouble, and he's still trying to back out of it. i got to say, um, I don't... I don't really care about the, the bluff about the tapes. I always thought it was a bluff. To me, it is a perfect example of how he tries to run his presidency like, like a reality show. Like, wait for the big reveal at the end of the mid-season break kind of thing. What does bother me about that tweet is his insinuation that it's entirely plausible that members of the deep state or the intelligence community or law enforcement are bugging the Oval Office without his awareness. And that is a pretty... Uh, provocative charge to make. I'm sure he's making it, you know, if he ever gets pushed back on it, he'll say he was just speaking tongue-in-cheek. But I, I, I thought that was the more offensive part of it. No, that's ridiculous, though. I mean, you've had nothing but months of leaks from intelligence agencies about people affiliated with the Trump campaign or otherwise. It's not insane at all to think that there might be surveillance, since we've seen so many, again, unmasked... What allegations are that Donald Trump has been has been surreptitiously recorded without his approval? What I mean, the, the issue there with that original tweet is that James Comey had already been linking, leaking to the New York Times and he'd been presenting stories as if he was some hero of the, of the conversations he had with Trump. That tweet actually got James Comey to admit that he did three times tell Donald Trump that he wasn't under investigation. It got him to admit that he did say Mike Flynn was a good guy when he was asked about it by the president. And it did get him to also admit that he had pledged his honest loyalty to Donald Trump. Okay, so this was the theory. The theory was that if Trump hadn't tweeted that there were tapes, then, then none of this ever would have come out. That's such unbelievable crap. Okay, if James Comey had been put under oath in front of Congress, you really think that he would have lied? And, and the reason I say this is because Trump accused him of lying anyway, right? Trump accused him of lying anyway. But 
because we because Trump does things and then there is this attempt to figure out what Trump is doing and and inject genius into the silly things that he does, right? I mean, and, and the perfect example of this is the Covfefe stupidity, right? He tweets out Covfefe, he comes out the next day, he says, that was a silly thing to tweet, basically. And then he leads Sean Spicer to go out there and say, no, people inside the administration know what Covfefe means. Like, this attempt to read back into history what Trump actually meant, it's one of the dumbest things because what it actually leads to is this conspiratorial thinking on both sides. On one side, on the right, you have people saying, ooh, it's secretly genius what he's, ooh. And then on the left, you have, it's secretly evil. He has a plan and it's evil. What if he just doesn't have a plan? What if it's just kind of dumb and doesn't matter very much? What if that, right, which is, the actual truth. But by this morning, Trump has gotten his talking points, and now Trump comes out and he says, no, it was secretly genius. I'm so smart. Unbelievable. Here we go. Unbelievable. Why did you want him to believe that you possibly did that? Well, I didn't tape him. Uh, you never know what's happening when you see that the Obama administration, and perhaps longer than that, was doing all of this unmasking and uh, surveillance, and you read all about it, and I've been reading about it for the last couple of months about the seriousness of the and horrible situation with surveillance all over the place and you've been hearing the word unmasking a, a word you probably never heard before so you never know what's out there but I didn't tape and I don't have any tape and I didn't tape but when he found out that uh, I you know that there may be tapes out there whether it's governmental tapes or anything else and who knows uh, I think his story may have changed I mean you'll have to take a look at that because then he has to tell what actually took place at the events. And my story didn't change. My story was always a straight story. My story was always the truth. But you'll have to determine for yourself whether or not his story changed. But uh, I did not take. It was a smart way to make sure he stayed honest in those hearings. Well, uh, it wasn't... Uh it wasn't very stupid, I can tell you that. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> stop it. It was stupid, okay, it was dumb, like, who cares? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, but the, again, this kind of spin everything into a homespun thread of genius, and on the other side, spin everything into a wild conspiracy. It must have been Putin, right? I mean, <laughs> everybody just calm down. Just calm down. He tweeted a dumb thing, because that's what Trump does sometimes. It doesn't have any ramifications. It's not because it's corrupt. It's not because it's witness intimidation. Okay, he didn't, if it was witness intimidation, it was the most incompetent witness intimidation ever, because Comey's hearing ends up being the lead on the news and broadcast in prime time, uh, you know, in live time on the network. So, again, this is just this, this kind of post facto, there is a philosophy to the Trump administration. And, and there's a genius. I, I just, I, I hate this stuff because it's just not true. It's just not true, okay? And I'm not going to go along with that crap. Okay, before we get to things I like and things I hate, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Upside.com. So if you go over to Upside.com and check it out, it is super fast searches for travel. And what's great about it is the price is much lower than you will see on competing sites because you can check it out and they bundle your flight and your hotel. It's perfect for people who are traveling by themselves, for business particularly, and they give you all sorts of options. If you take a flight earlier or if you stay at the same kind of hotel down the block, they give you the pricing options that are different so you can compare and contrast. Now, what's super cool about what they do is not only do they actually give you a lower price than anywhere else, but you get, you personally, get an Amazon gift card, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, when you go to upside.com today. So your company saves money if you're traveling on the company dime, and then you personally get the Amazon gift 
gift card, which is awesome because, as you know, I am a huge devotee of Amazon. When you use promo code BEN over at Upside.com, you are guaranteed to get at least $100 Amazon gift card on your first trip. Again, go to Upside.com, use that promo code BEN, and you get a $100 gift card for free. So you save on the travel, and then you get that big gift card every single trip, every trip, not just the first one. See what your next trip is worth today over at Upside.com. Minimum purchase is required, and you can see the site for complete details, but go to Upside.com, use that promo code BEN, and that promo code BEN will get you the $100 minimum Amazon gift card, plus they'll know that we sent you. Okay, we'll do a very quick thing I like, and then a very quick thing I hate, and then we'll get to mailbag questions. So, things I like, here it is. So, we've been doing witches uh, this, this week. Um, that's not a reference to anyone in particular, but uh, we've been doing Witches this week, and I've done The Wizard of Oz before, the movie The Wizard of Oz, but I haven't done the book. So the book The Wizard of Oz is a lot darker, a lot darker than the movie is. It is also a much more complete universe. So the, the Oz universe actually can, goes on to become an entire series of books. All of them are really good, but they are not appropriate for kids who are under the age of about 9 or 10 because they are very dark, uh, they're a little bit creepy, and they're a little bit weird. One of the things that's really funny is how we as parents treat our children. So if you go back and you look at old fairy tales, they're super dark. You know, half the German fairy tales end up with somebody's thumbs getting chopped off or people getting burned alive or something. Right? Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales, like the, the, the little match girl, like they, they end up with like the girl freezing to death. So what's funny is that children were used to be, the, the idea of protecting children's innocence was protecting them from immorality, but not from reality. Now, the idea of protecting children's innocence is about protecting them from reality, but not protecting them from immorality. So if you see something sinful, you must teach your child about that because sin is no longer sin. Badness is no longer badness. You must teach your child about terrible people doing terrible things or about things that are religiously sinful if you live in a religious community. Otherwise, you're not a good parent and you're not exposing them to all of the things in the world. But you can never tell them about death. You can never tell them about violence. You can never, you can never show somebody smoking a cigarette. It's the reversal of what it used to be, where kids knew about death from the time they were young, but they also were protected from immoral people and immorality. It's a very different picture of how children were supposed to grow up, and you see that with regard to children's literature. Now children's literature is sort of anodyne. There's not a lot there in terms of interest or scary stuff. I know I read a lot of it because I have kid, two kids under four. But there's always this attempt to inculcate a certain particular set of values. Like uh, at one point, I'll have to do a Things I Hate on the book Rainbow Fish, which I think is just a garbage book. But uh, in any case, the book is The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which, of course, has the most famous witch uh, in, in literature outside of Macbeth. Okay, time for A Thing I Hate. Let's do it. So today we'll do one very quick thing I hate. This is... Uh, President Trump, there's not a thing I hate that he did that's so horrible, but here's tape of President Trump uh, over at his golf club. He is in that cart. One of the basic rules of golf is that you're not supposed to drive your golf cart on the green. Why? Because other people use the green. And when you drive your golf cart all over the green, what you end up doing is preventing people from being able to putt properly. Here is President Trump. I think this is very indicative of who he is as a human being, for better and worse. Here he is at his golf club, and that is him in the cart. How great is that? It's the only place you can drive on the green, right? Your own golf course. <laughs> Somebody's putter. That's mine. I'm gonna need it. Yeah, I think that's no worries. Thank hey, you. Friends. How are you? How are you, How are you doing? What's happening? Everything good? Everything's Everything's great. Terrific. I feel I feel very safe. Thank you. Security in the history of golf. How are you? Okay. Good until this hole. 
So the two things. One, you can see that Trump is, is a pretty friendly guy who gets along with people. But two, you can see he doesn't give a crap because he drives all over the green of his golf course. So the two things come together, and there it is. I, I'm not a big fan of, of rudeness in general, and I do believe that you should keep the rules of the golf. Guys, don't drive on the green. I mean, even if it's your own golf course, you're not the only person golfing on the golf course. People are paying to golf on the golf course. Even if you're the president of the United States, you shouldn't do that. It's silly. But I like the fact that, obviously, he's, he's willing to chat it up with a couple of, of local yokels. Anyway, uh, let's do the mailbag. Here we go. Okay, so in the mailbag today, we have Matthew. He says, if the universe and Earth was created specifically for humans, why have a humongous, vast universe that humans would never have the ability to explore? Biblical stories don't quite align with the expression of our universe. Well, actually, biblical stories align relatively well with the expression of our universe, considering that for many, uh, for many years, or a thousand years, uh, the, the common belief was not just that the Earth was the center of the universe, but also that the universe had always existed, right? The Greek thought suggested that the universe had always existed. When you read Maimonides' Guides of the Perplexed, he tries to, so, tries to tell a story by which the biblical stories match up with Aristotle because Aristotle believed that the universe had always existed. But the Bible specifically says that God created it, right? That, that there was a, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, the, the story in the Bible is specific to us because we're the ones who matter in the biblical story and God is speaking to humankind. We don't know if God gave a different Bible to people who are living, you know, three bajillion light years away. We don't know that. But God created nature as a mask for himself uh, and in the biblical worldview. And nature, whether it's on earth or in the heavens, it's not about whether we have the capacity to use every element of nature. You know, God could create whatever he wants. I really don't see the, the specific conflict in the idea that God created this vast universe that we'll never actually get to tap and the idea that the universe was still created specifically for human beings to use. I, I don't see why those two things are in conflict. That's sort of like saying in the times of the Bible, nobody knew that America was out there in the Middle East, um, but America was out there. Well, did the existence of America disprove the existence of, of the Bible in the Middle East? No, I don't see why. Jordan says, Dear Ben, would you explain why Russia is backing a genocidal regime in Syria? What is Russia's ultimate goal in this endeavor? Thanks. Okay, so Russia has long had an interest in this particular region, particularly Turkey. Uh, Russia does not have access to a warm water port. In order to ensure they have access to a warm water port, which allows them to in, in, engage in shipping and naval maneuvers, they need to control regimes uh, near a warm water port. So Syria is landlocked, but it also has control over Lebanon. Basically, Russia has worked with Syria and Iran and Lebanon to create an entire sphere of influence in this region. Russia's backing Assad because Assad backs Russia and allows Russia to put bases there and allows Russia to expand its power in the region from Russia. Uh, and they have a pretty heavy interest in Russia considering all of the resources they have deployed to Russia already. Plus, right now, Vladimir Putin's regime rests on the idea that he is big and strong and that he is going to participate uh, in the strengthening of Russia through foreign influence. And if he were to pull out of Russia now, it looks like a point of weakness and his regime is actually not quite as strong domestically as people suggest that it is. Uh, so let's see. Someone asks live, Ben, will, when, when will we ever get to see that muscular body you talk so much about? Well, you won't. I mean, I abide by basic rules of modesty, gang. That's for my wife to enjoy. I mean, come on. Let's, come on, guys. I mean, calm down over there. Okay, Arlie says, Dear Ben, who is your favorite comedian? So, my favorite current comedian is Louis C.K. I think Louis C.K. is absolutely hilarious. I disagree with him on virtually everything politically, but he's an honest comedian, and so he says things that are shockingly honest and brutal. He has some of the funniest, his stuff on kids particularly, I'm not a big fan of blue humor, but his stuff that is not blue is just hysterically funny. He has one thing on kids that is so good. Uh, I'll have to make it a thing I like one of these days. He does a, a whole bit 
on kids asking why, that is just spectacular because your children do ask why incessantly. And he does a whole thing about how by the time you finish with the conversation with your child, you end up trying to explain existential questions about your own life and why you're a screw-up. It's really, really a funny bit. You can catch it on YouTube. Okay, Kevin says, Dear Ben, as a conservative Ivy League medical student in Yale alum, I have a high regard for intellectual diversity on college campuses. Yet I wonder if it contradicts the ideas of social capital that conservatives espouse. Given that a cohesive community needs shared values and beliefs, are being intellectually consistent in advocating more diverse viewpoints on college campuses? Well, Kevin, the presence of other perspective on college campuses is not just because we value all the perspectives. Like, if I were running a university, I would allow Marxists to speak on campus, not because I like Marxism, but because I think that it is necessary for people to face up to alternative values so that we can reinforce our own values and so we can determine what's wrong in those other values. The purpose of diversity is not because we think that all of the people who are encompassed in the diversity are right. It's because the purpose of diversity of thought is so that we can have the arguments that assure that we are right. That's the idea here. Uh, by the way, a lot of people in, in the comment section are saying Bill Burr. I do like Bill Burr also. Bill Burr uh, is, is very funny. Okay, so Ryan says, do you think it would be wise or effective to push for abortion reform that requires both biological parents' consent before performing the procedure? It's a long way off from the eventual outright ban that I hope someday would be in effect, but wouldn't this help to reduce the total number of abortions? Um, well, I mean, I'd have to think about that particular reform. First of all, I think that Yes. The answer is yes. I mean, I, I think that it should require the consent of both, but I don't think the consent, the, the problem I have with the piece of legislation, I guess the answer is no. I'm switching my mind here. The reason the answer is no is because I don't think abortion is about consent anyway. I, because the, that implies, the legislation would imply that if both partners consent, now it's okay. But it's not the question of the father's consent that's the question in abortion. The question is the baby's consent. The baby is not capable of giving consent. So if you're doing it as just sort of another artificial roadblock, sure, I'm in favor of any artificial roadblock to abortion you can throw up. But if you're talking about as a principled piece of legislation, the answer is no, because no amount of consent can justify the killing of a human life. Okay, Charles says, Ben, I'm a hobbyist writer. In the past, you've talked about potential pitfalls of writing characters that could simply be swapped between sexes. I've always felt that in a majority of situations, characters react or take similar action regardless of being a man or a woman. Can you explain your thoughts on this and what things writers should consider when writing characters of different sexes? Thanks for all your hard work. Okay, so Justin, first of all, I think that um, the, uh, first of all, I think that Clavin would probably be better on this because Clavin does a lot more fiction writing than I do. Um, I think that there, one of the problems that I've talked about is the casting of women in male roles. Not so much writing characters that can be for both sexes, but the idea that you can cast a woman in a man's role and nothing changes. That, I think, is, is sometimes true, but generally silly. There are many roles where it can be a man or a woman. It doesn't make much of a difference. But when you're talking about big roles in, in action films, for example, to pretend that Charlize Theron has the same capacity to kick somebody through a wall as Arnold Schwarzenegger is just, it, it requires a suspension of disbelief that is ridiculous and silly. Um, the, the same thing is true in a lot of these, uh, there was an episode, uh, for example, of Black Mirror, where it was all about lesbianism, and it, could, it was originally written to be about a man and a woman. It obviously changes the dynamics of the show wildly, whether it is a lesbian relationship or whether it is a man-woman relationship, and just swapping them out to pretend that that doesn't have an impact on the final product is really silly. Uh, I think that Clavin's take on the differences between men and women are largely correct, that what we demand of women as a society uh, is that they be strong in defense of their family, uh, but that they also be caring and compassionate, and that what we defend of what we require men to do is be strong in defense of their family as the foremost priority, meaning it's the, here's how I see it. It is a man's job in life. If you want to be a good man, it is your, it is your job to protect your wife and your children. If, it, if you're a woman, it is your job to help ensure that the child has a safe place to go home and the man has a, has a 
a wife who cares for him. Women, uh, if, you, if you want a happy marriage, woman has to be more about caring and man has to be more about defense. Uh, that doesn't mean that a woman shouldn't be strong in defense of her family. It doesn't mean a man shouldn't be caring. I'm very caring toward my wife and my children, obviously. But if a man is not strong in defense of his family, it's a huge problem. If a woman is not caring, it's a bigger problem than if she's not strong in defense. If a man is only protective and not caring, that is still a problem, but it's not nearly as much of a problem as if he is only caring but not protective. Okay, David says... It seems like the world is dominated by the left. Hollywood tech, Facebook, Twitter, Google, top companies, Ben & Jerry's, Starbucks, journalism, universities, and academia in general. I never hear of any area of society dominated by conservatives aside from gun enthusiasts, military, and maybe police. Where, all, where are they all? Or are the left just such loud voices they drown us out? Well, the truth is that conservatives do predominate in certain industries, like, for example, I think real estate. Uh, so in, in certain areas of commercial finance. Uh, there, there are definitely strong conservatives in a lot of the professional class, but when it comes to the, the more media-friendly companies, the tech-centric companies, they tend not to be conservative, and the reason is because they're all in Silicon Valley. I mean, they're all coming from particular areas of the country, and they all went to university. Uh, there are a lot of people who are very wealthy who live outside the coast, but those people tend to be engaged in businesses that are not tech-centric, for example, uh, that are not Hollywood-centric, and that don't get covered. Like, some, like, the richest people that I personally know are people who got rich from fracking. Okay, well, those people are not involved in tech so much, um, and fracking doesn't get covered by the media. So the stuff that you see is not the stuff that is necessarily where all the wealth is centralized, but it's where the media is centralized. Moshe says, I'm a medical professional. I work with children. I see a lot of parents who abuse Medicaid and other entitlement programs. Should I feel compelled to report? Well... Yes, I mean, I'm not sure what the law says about what you are actually allowed to report, so I wouldn't want you to get in trouble, but people abusing government programs is obviously a violation of the law, and I am not in favor of it. It seems like a mistake. Uh, so somebody says, have you heard that some conservatives, Sophia, are forming the Federalist Party? What do you think of it? Thanks for speaking the truth. I'm not in favor of starting a third party. I think that retaking the Republican Party for conservatism would be better. The Republican Party is an empty shell that can be taken uh, by anyone who has... The, the aggressiveness, obviously, as President Trump shows, uh, and the principles, uh, I think, to, to take it. Um, Jackson says, you often say how facts don't care about our feelings, and I agree, but the way we feel about different subjects can have a drastic impact on what and why we believe what we believe. What are some ways we can help ourselves see clearly regardless of our feelings? Well, I think first thing to notice is when your feelings are actually being, are being um, provoked. So if, if you feel angry, you should stop and say, Am I right to be angry? If you're feeling sad, you should say, am I right to be sad? What is the information that is leading me to be sad? Or am I just reacting out of a gut-level frustration with something? When you realize that your feelings are more in control of you than you are of your feelings, that's a good way to start getting control of your feelings. Uh, Jonathan Haidt has talked about this notion that basically human beings are, uh, that, that you are the rider on top of the elephant. Your, your reason is the rider on top of the emotional elephant. The elephant's going to go where it wants to go, but the rider can sort of channel where the elephant is going to go. Uh, once you realize that you're riding the elephant and that it's not the, and that, and that it's not reason that is the elephant and, and emotion that is, that is just sort of a part, then you're going to be, it'll be easier for you to, to identify the problem. Ray says, Ben, when a convicted felon is released from prison, the rights that were taken from him are restored. Can you make a truly principled argument that his Second Amendment rights should not be restored as well? After all, he has paid his debt to society, which should mean a new blank slate or not. Well, first of all, Ray, it is not true that all of the, the convicted felons' rights are restored. Convicted felons aren't allowed to vote, for example. Um, convicted felons uh, are, uh, I mean, they're, they're still appointed rights to a lawyer, for example, in a crime. Um, but 
the right to vote is not restored to convicted felons. Uh, so it's, it's not just gun rights that are restricted. It is basically that you have violated the compact with society that gives you the right that, that you, you've, you had a natural right and you blew it. Your natural right was to participate in the civil society and social fabric. You blew that right when you, convi- when you were committed and convicted of a felony. Once that happens, that we can still re-bring you into society and try to reestablish repentance, but that is a one-time thing, and we can't act as though you were not a gap in the social fabric and that that, can't, that can be easily restored. Maybe we should have some sort of process by which we restore these rights to you over time, but to me, that would be a long process, not something where you get out of prison, you've paid your debt, and boom, we're done. Um, it, it, you know, there are convicted felons who are out after rape. I don't think they should be voting or carrying guns. Uh, final question from Daniel. These are all from the live mailbag, by the way, folks, which is why you should subscribe. Uh, Daniel says, uh, would you describe today's political environment as reverse McCarthyism? The left seems to attack anyone who is pro-American, whereas McCarthy did the complete opposite. Well, yes. I mean, I, I wrote about this in Bullies, that there is a pro-American, anti-American McCarthyism that, is, that exists on the left, which is why they hated Trump's slogan, make America great again, because they say America has never been great. And so there's this anti-patriotic sentiment among the left uh, that is really dangerous. Uh, I would suggest that McCarthyism exists now on both sides. I don't mean to be even-handed here because it annoys me, actually. But <laughs> to be intellectually honest, there's McCarthyism that exists on both sides, an attempt to, to suggest that the, the motivations of everybody are wrong and terrible in every circumstance. Uh, and that, I think, is wrong and terrible in and of itself without evidence. Okay. We've reached the end of the week. We'll be back here on Monday. We'll see where Trump Care goes from there. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.